Hello, Paul. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, Kristen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for uh, taking the time. So FYI, we're only going to be audio, so you don't have to have your video on, although you can. <laughs> That's quite all right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. so, Not exactly. Uh, Just a sec. Let me stop it. There we go. Okay. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Yeah. So let me, and I'm just going to check my settings super quick. Sure. Okay. I'm good. Okay. Well, so let me cover the basics. And then if you have any questions, let me know. Um, so our time together today will be 30 minutes, give or take. Uh, you likely got the, the questions um, when, you know, you or someone else filled out the bio, et cetera. Uh, sure. That'll kind of guide our topics, but it'll be conversational. Um and I'm a little bit ahead in recording happily. So uh, when your episode releases, do look for uh, an email from Eric Balamuki. He's the one who will send out uh, the links, et cetera, to share out. And uh, do you have any questions? Not at all. Okay, well then we can get back in. Um, I'm gonna look quickly at your bio and just make sure there's nothing I need to I think I can I can say all the words there's <laughs> um, I will say so my name is Kirsten sounds like ear so I do say that because a lot of times people we will say my name during the recording and then we'll have to stop um, they'll say it wrong so, Kirsten um Okay, I do have to just quickly, because you're a federal court trial lawyer, what kinds of things, Just this is just for my knowledge, um, did you ever do with, deal with anything with fraud? Uh, no, I did, oh, okay. uh, did uh, labor and employment law. Ah, okay. All right, just because we have a, a fraudulent, called himself a general contractor person that... <laughs> 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 doing, sorry, sorry. doing some things <laughs> so i've been in, in major research mode around fraud so anyway <laughs> sorry sorry to hear that that sounds like it's it's miserable and a mess yeah yeah thank god i have uh project management skills we've been just running our own job so um since since he ditched us on march 10th you know when we said he wasn't gonna be able to steal any more of our money but um anyway uh just out of curiosity because i saw the federal government sometimes gets involved. But anyway, all right. Um, so uh, any questions? No, not at all, really. Okay. All right, cool. Well, then uh, I'm ready. I am getting a little bit of background noise here and there. Um, maybe it's when you're moving. Uh, yeah, when you're moving around for sure. Okay. Well, we'll stop moving around. Let me get <laughs> Don't move around. <laughs> uh, I'll be no, no more moving. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, I'm going to do the intro and we'll be ready to go. Excellent. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Rosvogel, your host, and this is episode 285. And as always, I am here for you. If you're working to make your own impact, I encourage you to go to my Impact Academy 
Facebook.com forward slash join for tons of resources uh, that I've created over more than 20 years of working with people just like you. But in the meantime, I have another person working on his own impact and his name is Paul Glover. He is a C-suite performance coach with 20 years experience as a federal court trial lawyer. He is a passionate storyteller who believes in the power of narrative to influence and educate in business, personal life, and even courtrooms. Member of Forbes Council and author of Workquake, a playbook for leaders who want to navigate the future of work beyond traditional command and control models to more inclusive, engaging environments. His approach is practical, hands-on, grounded in the realities of the real world of work and results-oriented all undertaken with a sense of humor and panache. His workshops allows every member of the organization from C-suite executive to frontline team members to understand the importance of resilience and how they can enhance their own resilience and positivity. Hold on, I said that wrong. That will get edited. And positively impact performance and productivity throughout the organization. And I have to say, Paul, these are some of my favorite topics. So welcome. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten. It's a privilege to be talking to you and your audience. Yeah. So tell me a bit more uh, about the work that you're doing and what impact you're making in the world. Well, I, uh, I build myself two ways uh, when I have a client who seeks me out. I do everything by referral, by the way, no marketing. Uh, first, uh, I title myself the No BS uh, Workplace Legacy Coach. And first, uh, because of my past experience as a, uh, as a trial lawyer, uh, I've got a finely attuned uh, bullshit antenna. And my, uh, my relationship with people in the coaching process is based on no bullshit. Uh, and I also uh, believe that you need to coach for legacy. Uh, so when I have someone who comes into my coaching program, we're looking out five years uh, about what impact they want to have when they're ready to hand off their legacy, their position, their job or their company uh, to a successor. So it's a uh, it's kind of a, a more of a futuristic approach that's based off of taking existing skill sets and improving them so they're able to actually build that legacy. Right. So tell me what experience, personal experience motivated you to shift gears and make this impact? Well, it uh, it came from uh, from deciding and not being uh, capable of continuing to do my uh, legal profession. Uh, I made a decision that I was going to uh, to transfer out of that. And I thought that I had a rather unique skill set. Uh, obviously, being a trial lawyer uh, requires you do several things. First, you do have to be a persuasive storyteller. Uh, it, it's always interesting to me as people watch television and Netflix and they see attorneys who, uh, who are all about doing only one thing, and that's presenting the facts. And critical thinking is an important part of being a lawyer, but unless you can weave that, that critical thinking into a narrative, which is a story, and then take your jury on a journey with you, you will not win a, a federal court case. So I took, uh, took the critical thinking and uh, the storytelling and also 
the fact that uh, I am quite empathic. Uh, my contention is that's how you connect with your team. That's also how you connect with the jury. You have to be authentic, you have to be vulnerable, and you also have to be empathic. Uh, and so I took those skill sets and I wrapped them into a, uh, a program. And I decided that I, this was how I was actually going to have more impact uh, in my life and in someone else's life was by going uh, into coaching. And I took the skill set and reached out and lo and behold, I now have a national coaching program. Great. So tell me about your passion for the work. Uh, it's, uh, it absolutely is based on developing my legacy through others. That's where I get the most uh, joy and uh, meaning out of coaching is that for every person in my coaching program that develops their legacy, that's a part of my legacy. So we're on a journey together and therefore it's, it requires, by the way, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that's, that's based on commitment. And as I tell people coming into my program, it is a commitment is a requirement, uh, not an option. And I commit to those people who are in the program and they commit to me and we develop a long-term relationship. Uh, I believe that for me, coaching uh, operates well when I have a 12 month uh, a period of time to actually generate impact. And most of my clients have been with me for over three years. Uh, and I do look at a five-year time frame, uh, and at that point, I believe people have done everything they need to do. And it's also based on the reality that the most the most difficult people for any coach to coach is someone who's successful. And the reality is that as I talk to people about coming into the program, it's not how good you have been or how good you are; it's how good you want to be, uh, and that's based on potential. And the ingredients of my coaching program is about plumbing the depths of someone's potential. So talk to me about a little bit about how storytelling uh, is kind of uh, woven through the work that you do with clients. Well, it, uh, it, I believe that every leader uh, needs to create the story about a hero's journey. Uh, because I think that people respond if they know that the work they're going to engage in actually does have impact and meaning. And the concept of being able to share that vision, that mission, from a leader's perspective, is how you get the team that you are assembling to go with you on this mission and journey. So you need to make sure that everyone understands that the hero's journey is one that is filled with several different elements. One, obviously, is we have victories uh, and working together as a team where you are working with me and not for me allows you to share in the, the joy and the fruits of those victories. But the more important part of a hero's journey is you can't have a hero's journey without adversaries and adversity and setbacks. And when you think about uh, Little Red Riding Hood, it would just be an enjoyable walk in the woods if it wasn't for the wolf. So the concept is we need to understand that as we start on this journey, we're going to share in victories, but we're also going to, to have to share in defeat and we're going to have to overcome adversity. Uh, people respect that, by the way. I think that teams are, when they're told that things are going to be really easy, first, they don't believe it, they're suspicious. But second, if you if that's your story, then when you hit a setback, 
or, or, a, or an adversary, uh, it suddenly sets everyone back and it discourages people from being a part of the team. So the concept of the story is to, to make sure that people understand the reality of the journey, but then understand how integral they are as a part of that journey and how the leader needs them not just wants them, but needs them to be a part of that journey so that together they can be successful and reach whatever that meaningful goal is. By the way, hero's journeys are about exploration, self and otherwise. And therefore everyone that is a part of the team on the journey will grow. And, and they grow and get better and are able to then do even more as, as a part of the team. So a couple of things out of what you just said, I always say, yeah, it's all about expectation management, really. If you can be clear and concise um, about their expectations, you can help minimize the gap between expectations and experiences. And if we sell something as if it's going to be easy, there are going to be no hiccups. Like you said, now when there's a hiccup, we've got that wider gap and people might feel like, hey, I've been misinformed. I wasn't able to make informed choices uh, because I wasn't given the accurate information versus uh, setting people up to expect, hey, it's not going to be perfect, but we're in this together. Um, I also, uh, I always share with clients to, I always say, make sure that you're not having any team members moving piles of dirt. And I share the story of a form of war torture that they used to use, which was making the prisoners get up every morning and move a giant pile of dirt from one side of a field to another. Mm -hmm. And why is that torture? It's torture because we humans need purpose. And how often are leaders forgetting uh, to bring people along, like you said, on that journey, like you want to attach to their hearts because those prisoners could get up to move a pile of dirt to build an orphanage or a hospital and use the same physical exertion, but feel energized at the end of that work. And so we need to make sure that everyone is attached to that bigger mission, that heart centered mission. And uh, regardless of where you are, there's a way to create it heart centered uh, so that people, you know, you want their arms, legs and heads, but most importantly, their hearts as an extension of you, the leader. So, yeah, share those stories and get them fired up about the mission. Well, and, and interesting you say that about the moving dirt, because that's that's a that's the example of <laughs> when none of this works. Let me give you a, one that you may have already heard. It may be profitable, but but it is uh, a story about the new head of NASA. This is decade ago, and uh, he'd just been appointed to his position, and he was walking through the, uh, the facilities, introducing himself to people. And he came up uh, on a cleaning lady pushing a cart with cleaning supplies. And it was apparent what her job was, but because he was introducing himself, he introduced himself and said, and by the way, what do you do? And she said, I help put people on the moon. Now, that is a mission. And it does exactly what you just said. It takes every person who's a member of the team, regardless of their position, and it gives them that meaning that everyone is looking for in their, their occupation and how they spend their time. And when people are connected to a mission like that, emotionally connected, they also give discretionary effort. And the, the deal with discretionary effort by its term is you can't buy it, you have to earn it. But when you get it, you now have that supercharged team that every leader dreams about. 
They're connected to the mission and they not only give their time, but they give their energy to making sure that the mission is accomplished. I love that story. I had not heard the NASA story, um, but it's funny because my own personal, uh, one of the stories I share, my personal experience from over 20 years ago, working in a healthcare setting was, and it was a housekeeper again in a healthcare setting though. Uh, and I always say she was uh, always so upbeat and happy. And if you can imagine the kind of work that she was doing in a hospital, it would not have been easy. And so one day I asked her, tell me, how do you stay so energized and motivated? And she said, every time I come across a particularly bad mess, I think about how sick someone must be feeling and then I'm helping to make them well. So same thing is she, you know, providing nursing care or a doctor? No, she's not. But she had attached her work to that ultimate mission. And uh, so one of the things I recommend, and you might do this too, is uh, have mission-centered job statements is what I call it, where someone looks at their work and attaches it to that mission. So, uh, so a front desk person is not just taking phone calls and, uh, and scheduling people. They are creating a warm, welcoming environment for people to become healed in a healthcare setting. But anyway, so I love that. I love that. So when you look back to um, the impact that you've helped others make, what is one story that you can tell us about a client that really fuels your own passion to keep doing this work? Well, and I, first, I believe that if you've got the relationship that that I I look for and I think other people do in any coaching relationship, there's an exchange of energy. And if it's a particularly good conversation, it's a positive exchange of energy. Uh, if it's not, then you may uh, be obviously accepting some negative energy. And I found during the pandemic that a part of my job was to help leaders de-stress. Uh, and, and so when you say, is there a, a particular instance? Yeah, I think so. I, I, uh, I actually had a client at the very beginning of the pandemic who, uh, who called and his hair was on fire. Uh, he was going to leap out of the window, commit suicide. I mean, it wasn't that drastic, but that was his mindset that the world was crumbling around him. His business was crumbling around him. And he, uh, he just, he just didn't know whether he was going to survive. And uh, I, I believe as a part of a coach, uh, you need to make people laugh when they're in that state. You need to show them some humor. And, uh, and I'm a little bit sarcastic to begin with. And I told him, I said, well, you know, you're right. The pandemic is a terrible thing. And, uh, and I absolutely uh, understand why you feel the way you do, except when you really think about it, uh, I believe that there are probably worse things that have happened in your life. And he absolutely was uh, was offended by that. He said, that's just not possible. And I said, well, it isn't mine. I, the, the pandemic is probably rated about fourth on my list of bad things that have happened to me. And uh, he was like, that's not true. That can't possibly be true. And so I went through my list. And so I won't bore you with the first three. But I said, and by the way, the, the last one, the last one that about put me over the edge and on a ledge just like you is they closed the Starbucks in my neighborhood. Now, at that point, he burst out. He burst out laughing. 
because that's absurd, right? I mean, if that's if I that's my number four in front of a pandemic, you you have to say, well, that's just silly, and it was. And absolutely, but at that point, that was one of those things that impacted me. And I said, it's gonna be my mission during the pandemic and since afterwards to do that on every call, to, to say something absurd or outlandish that will make the person on the other end who is feeling this additional level of stress, the opportunity to actually smile or laugh and make their day a little bit lighter in a time of so much uncertainty, chaos, and obviously fear. Uh, so, so that conversation right there actually was that trigger point for me to add that to the coaching process. And I've used it since then. That's great. Yep. I know a lot of us that were helping uh, business leaders during the pandemic had to deal, help them through just tons of overwhelm and fear for sure. Um, one of my strategies is I actually created a form called um, From Fear to Focused Action that it was simply to help them get clear on what are the different kinds of fear that they were experiencing and then for who, you know, was it a family member for themselves, for their business, for their community, et cetera, friends, um, because gaining that so many of them, like you said, here on fire. Um, it was such an uncertain time and we were bombarded with all kinds of different fears, all valid. But if you have swirling fear and kind of more generic fear, you can't get an action. And then you also feel a victim. And so helping to them to feel empowered required that they first get specific about what are the fears. And then once you identify them, now you can create specific actions to take that helps you feel empowered, more in control and all of that. So yeah, it was a, it was a very challenging time for so many business, well, everybody, but <laughs> business leaders, I think all were feeling that sense too, of that responsibility for their teams. Absolutely. They had both their own personal issues as well as the team. And you're absolutely, first, that's a great form that it put together because fear paralyzes us. And, and you can't move forward. And the whole concept for, for me is you need to take positive action before you can stop being paralyzed and can start to overcome or deal with or face those fears. Uh, and therefore, every time, every, every conversation was about what are you going to do to take action? Uh, and there's this concept, I forget who, Adam Grant came up with the word languishing that people are now languishing and it just irritated me because it sounded like some uh, medieval or middle English melancholy. And, and the concept is, well, what do you do if you're languishing? Well, how about you do something instead of just languish? Uh, language is like on a fainting couch. So anyway, that, that was a part of the program too, is, is let's talk about a small step, a small action you can take today that will be, meaningful to yourself, but maybe to other people. In fact, the more impact you can have on other people, a positive impact, the more that reverberates back, reflects on you, and you get the benefit of that. So the whole concept was to just keep people moving forward when in fact they were frozen in place. So that, that was a part of that coaching program. And by the way, it always has been, but it became even more important uh, because of the pandemic and because of the fact that people froze. It's funny that you mentioned the um, fainting couch. I, <laughs> because as you were saying that word languishing, 
that's what I was envisioning. And because probably it's more top of mind right now, Saturday night live just had a skit recently where everyone kept fainting and, and missing the fainting couch. But anyway, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I, I'll look that one up. That's a good one for you too. Yeah, it might be. It might be because <laughs> they all were right. doing all kinds of other things instead of hitting the couch, but everyone was trying to get them towards the couch. But, um, but anyway, uh, so tell me, uh, you see, I told you this is one of my favorite topics. We are very much kindred spirits, I think, and, uh, in the yeah. way that we help our clients and the, and the focus. Um, so, uh, so tell me what is, uh, the biggest internal or external challenge that you've had to overcome in working to make your impact and how did you overcome it? Well, I, it first, <laughs> because personality is, is baked into us to some degree, but also uh, my personality of being a trial lawyer was extremely assertive as my, my wife would say aggressive, but I, I'm willing to give myself some slack. It was very assertive. And when I started coaching, uh, I had to get over my hubris about wanting to tell people what to do. Uh, and that was difficult. And, uh, and I did that because I decided to change my approach. Uh, after a few months, I was like, this is not working well. I don't like the way it feels. I don't think it's really helping my clients the way I want to be helping them build their own legacy. Uh, I, I didn't want to tell them how to do it. I wanted to help them do it. So, uh, so I, I actually changed how I did my coaching uh, in a couple of ways. First, I became perpetually curious. I wanted to know about you not only as a professional, but also I wanted some personal. I wanted to I wanted to really know you as a person, which meant that I wanted to know about your hobbies. I want to know about your family to some degree. And by the way, there's always boundaries and limits. Uh, I, I tell people that I think it's now required that there be a combination of professional and personal for every leader. You don't want to be intimate. So there are boundaries and guardrails that need to be in place, but it doesn't work anymore just to be professional. We've got to get to know the other person. So I became perpetually curious. Uh, every time I had a, co a coaching uh, session, I want to know a little bit about what you were doing uh, that, uh, that had something to do with you personally, whatever it may be. Uh, the second thing was I became a very, I became an empathetic listener. Uh, I'm not, I wasn't good at listening. I would immediately hear something and want to respond. Uh, and that was my forte as a, as a trial lawyer. Uh, so I became an empathetic, empathetic listener. And therefore I was and not, by the way, that is empath, empathetic listening is not active listening. As an active listener, that's what I did as an attorney. I always was listening. But being an empathetic listener is a different approach. It goes deeper. Uh, and I've, I figured that out, that that was going to be a part of what my, how I coached. Uh, so, so I started to do that. And then uh, I, I gave uh, what I call pragmatic optimism. Uh, it, had, it had to be realistic. It could not be uh, optimism by itself. It had to be very pragmatic. So I wove those into my coaching program, into who I am. So I changed my, how I coached and how I actually was uh, into something that made me more relatable. Uh, and as my wife said, uh, one of the things that I never was good at was humility and compassion. And I have managed, I think, to become more humble. I'm not necessarily as humble as I should be, perhaps, uh, but I'm also much more compassionate, which is being kind. And because I'm a performance coach, I can very quickly get hard-nosed about your inability to do what you said you were going to do. We have to have that discussion. 
because the reality is we're on a journey together. And the one thing that I, I uh, to tell you how far I think I've come, uh, based on somebody else's feedback, was one of my clients now described me as a Sherpa. Their thing, he said, Paul will help you get to the top of the mountain, but he will not carry your pack. And that pretty much describes how I've managed to become that person who will do exactly that. That's great. Yeah, you do have to definitely blend the toughness of uh, holding people accountable, but allowing them the freedom because it's ultimately they have free will. And uh, we can only provide the opportunity to, to do the right things. We can't make them do the right things. Um, so holding accountable, but giving grace and uh, yeah, and uh, keeping the, I know. Um, and I don't know how long have you been coaching? Well, let's see 2001 20 years. Okay. Okay. Um, I was going to say, so sometimes I know new coaches, they look for that validation by clients making progress. Uh, and that's a, that can end up putting too much pressure on the client. Again, you, they need to be making, you know, if you're a good coach, they're absolutely making progress. But when someone is, uh, not making that progress, uh, we have to remember that it's their free will and we're just providing the opportunity for success or to make it to the mountain, <laughs> top of the mountain. Um, and that, uh, we can still be good at what we do and have those few and far between clients who just aren't going to take the action that's required. Absolutely. And, and again, I'm back to that level of commitment and, and a part of my program is that, uh, at the beginning of that 12 month, uh, coaching, uh, period, we set, we, after, after the initial buy-in, doing the assessments and getting to know each other with a couple of coaching sessions is that we then set the goals because I, I do operate off of goals. I think that people need to have goals, uh, and they can change, but we also need to know where we want to be at the end of that 12 month period, uh, because that then gives us the opportunity to decide, uh, speed, for instance, uh, how fast do we want to move if you want to do things? And first, I believe that that one of a coach's uh, obligations is to uh, to give the gift of truth, uh, because often leaders don't hear the truth. And so the gift of truth is, uh, again, eliminating the BS and also making they're being realistic about what they want to accomplish and how they're going to accomplish it. Uh, and so, so when someone overreaches, they have to be it has to be that conversation. Uh, and again, I don't, I'm not sure they have to be told, but they have to understand that that's being unrealistic, whatever it may be. And to make sure that I stay in the game, uh, my compensation is 50% based on at the end of that 12 month period, the client is satisfied that we reached the goals that we set. Uh, and I tell people that keeps me uh, a little more honed <laughs> and, and engaged and committed. Uh, so, so at some point, though, I'm more than happy to have someone say, this isn't for me, this journey is not for me with you. Uh, and, and I think that's hard for coaches, because at some point, we may not be telling our clients the truth about them, so they understand where they are in this journey. Uh, I always find it interesting when, uh, when we do assessments, and you get a 360 degree evaluation that the person, uh, the leader is not happy with. And I'll give you an example. It just happened a couple of months ago. Someone was recommended to me. And we I always start off with first they do a self-evaluation, but then I need to have their executive team or the team that reports to them do a, a 360 evaluation so that we can do the comparison. 
And that happened. And uh, the uh, it's always interesting because one of the areas that's the easiest to point out the deficiency if you have one in your skill set is communication. Because every leader believes that they communicate effect, very effectively. But I tell them usually that's because they believe in telepathy. They think that if they think it, everybody else hears it. So when we get the 360 back, that's one of those areas that requires that the leader usually has to recognize they're not as good as they think they are. This particular leader uh, was really taken aback by the, by, the, uh, by the results, especially in that area of communication. And so he said, I need to think about this. So a week later, he called me and he said, uh, look, I, I want you to send out the 360 again to my team. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll send it out at the end of our 12 month engagement period, because that gives us the opportunity to actually gauge whether or not progress was made to the extent that we agreed upon. And he said, no, no, really, I want you to send it out one more time. Uh, and I said, oh, well, tell me why. He said, well, you know, I was so disappointed in the outcome that I got my team together and I said, look, we're going to do this until we get it right. Needless to say, we ended our coaching relationship at the end of that call. Uh, but I, often you face someone who, is, who says they want to commit and get better, but in reality only wants validation for what they're currently doing. Clearly they need to be told that and then they move on to someone else and they don't move on at all. Yep. I, those are few and far between, but they definitely uh, rise to the surface as someone who, you know, the term defensive, they have this defense mechanism where they will only take in that information that validates what they want to believe. Um, another little clue that that's where their focus is. So I do um, what I call cultural assessment. So where I'll, um, it's similar to a 360, but I'm also getting at like what's going on in the organization as a whole, like other issues. Um, every uh, every organization has some kind of communication snafu, but like it might be process improvement, holding people accountable, clear expectations, those kinds of things. But anyway, um, every once in a while, you will get a leader who is wanting to focus more on who might have said that thing than <laughs> what what was actually said. And it's like, mm, we are not going to be able to make a lot of progress if that's where you put your focus, because of course, then you worry about retaliation and those kinds of things. And that is not the focus in coaching at all. <laughs> uh, and, and at that point, I have to admit, I, 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 I don't see a future coaching someone like that. And oh, I, same, same. Actually, oh, I start yeah. every relationship with if, you know, I always say, I, you know, if you're not making <laughs> progress, I don't keep working with you. Absolutely. Yes. And, and if I identify, because a lot of times it might be the, you know, the owner of a company who's hiring me and I'm working with like a, a CFO or something. And I identify in an initial meeting that they have these defense mechanisms up. I put the owner on notice and just say, look, I've identified this. I am able to make progress at times. However, it is a bigger uphill battle. So what I will do is I will keep you appraised. And if they aren't making making progress, I will let you know, and I will end because I don't want, yeah, I'm not going to waste my time, their time, their money. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's, that's spot on. And, and more coaches need to have that attitude rather than think I'll just continue to do this until I wear them down. No, you shouldn't have to wear them down. Coaching should not be arduous. It requires work, it requires commitment, but it shouldn't be arduous. And if you have a coaching session that I spoke about with this exchange of energy, 
and you realize that the only thing that you're getting here is an exchange of, ne exchange of negativity, just because they do, probably don't want to be there. Uh, I hate having someone forced into a coaching program. And, and I understand that sometimes that's the last straw, the last step, and therefore you need to give it an effort. But the reality is most of the time I've found that that fails. And I have I I tell the uh, the owners of company I'm not the Marine Corps I will leave somebody behind, and and if that's how it is then you're I do exactly what you just said I'm not going to waste my time or their money on something that I can't do and that I can't effectuate uh, change positive change so no I think more coaches and by the way that's that gift of truth yes more coaches have got to be aware it's their obligation to give. 100%. I will never forget, though, it was probably 20 years ago or so. Um, there was a guy he was required to coach with me. And man, was he angry um, to the point of beating his fists on the table. But oh. I pride myself. And by the end of that first one, he realized that I was sitting on the same side of the table, you know, ah. not physically at the moment. But by the time I, I got him to see so I was so proud of that, you know, so give it a go initially, yeah. but know when to cut ties. But, um, but yeah, I got him to see that this was not a punishment. This wasn't a consequence. This was a gift. This was them investing in his success and that it was his to, you know, take on the challenge or not. But, um, so he, you know, and that was great. I mean, cause someone who starts off that angry, it's, <laughs> it's not going to be often that they're going to switch gears that quickly, but, uh, but yeah, I still remember that. And, um, yeah, I, I was so grateful that he saw that it was an investment and he was ready to do some work. Well, kudos, kudos to you, because clearly that, that's a difficult thing. And I, I operate off the, I'm a bit of a numerologist. I operate off of three. By the end of the third session, the person and I should know, are we going to have a relationship that's going to create what we both want? And that is improvement. And again, working towards uh, working towards a greater legacy. So I've got I and I know that, you know, there, there's always the exception to the rule, except I don't accept exceptions anymore. I truly believe that at the end of that third session, if I'm not feeling it or they're not feeling it, then we need to we need to accept that as as a responsibility. Uh, could you go six? Of course, but I just don't. So, yeah. And by the way, my wife would say that's because you're still a recovering lawyer. <laughs> you know, you've got these you've got these 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 guardrails that you find difficult to uh, to achieve. And I said, true, but I also have 20 years of experience that tells me that these work most of the time and therefore I respect them. Well, and there are times too where it's just not a fit and it's okay. I mean, it's just like a dating relationship or a friendship. It's not a plus or a minus, good or bad. Sometimes, you know, there are certain coaching clients that aren't going to fit my style of coaching and, and likewise for you, you know, there are some, uh, you know, so I, uh, absolutely help my clients make amazing progress. Um, but you know, so for instance, engineers, CPAs, they tend to want more structure than I provide. I don't have on, on session two, this is exactly what we're covering. I don't coach that way. And so it's okay. Cause there are other people who do. And so sometimes it's not even that, you know, a coach isn't doing a good job or that the person doesn't want to change. Sometimes there's just not a fit in coaching style in that person's, uh, you know, what they need in a coach. If they need that extra structure, they're going elsewhere <laughs> in my case. 
Absolutely. And that's, that's, that is the hard truth, though, that, that I find that, that a lot of coaches have difficulty with. They keep thinking, well, I will make this work. Uh, and at some point, you need to do it, need to do that analysis from the coach's point of view as to whether or not this is the best thing for the client. Uh, but also for the coach, uh, there are clients wear you down uh, and just 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 make just like I said, I don't believe that coaching should be arduous. And once I realized that that's what this relationship is about, kind of we're, we're not we're not uh, aligned or in sync, but we're actually being competitive. And the reality is that's not what coaching is about. I'm not in here to, to beat you. I want to I want to have a cooperative relationship that actually works for both of us. Uh, and once you've got that realization, you just need to come to see there needs to be some reality. Uh, but again, everybody has their own definition of reality. So uh, that, that's the interesting part. You're correct. There are a vast number of coaches that offer a different perspective that may be better suited for the client. And they, if that's the case, then both sides should accept that. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I love that we're talking about just the kind of the impact that coaches can make and how important this work is. Um, I'm actually thinking about another client just quickly, but, um, and then we'll go on to the next question. But uh, this was a client that I fired. Um, and the CEO kept coming back to me and saying, please keep working with them. Please keep working with them. And, but I, I, it came to mind because you were talking about the energy and I was like, I am spending way too much energy and trying to get him to see reality and be, have integrity. And, you know, he's, he's like being so wiggly and, uh, yeah, he doesn't, he's not ready for change. Cause someone who's using all of what I call those stay stuck strategies, um, you know, that's what they're using their creative energy for versus the actual change. And, uh, he finally talked me back into it like a few months later of meeting with the guy again, a couple more times, but, um, yeah, if they're, if they're engaging in those stay stuck strategies, that's where their energy wants to be. And so, um, coaching is likely not going to be the good a good thing for them at that point. Um, so tell me what words of wisdom do you have for others who are working to make their impact right now? Well, I, I think that some of those traits that I've already talked about are required uh, because impact is made through other people. And we've gotten to a point now where people realize that transactional relationships don't have meaning. Uh, and and it, for a leader in their team, if that's the relationship you have, which is basically, I will pay you for your time uh, and a little bit of your energy uh, and hopefully some of your ideas. But that doesn't work anymore. That When we start talking about you know, what they've termed the great resignation, uh, I believe that that's that is uh, that are that th those are team members, employees who decided that transactions don't matter now. They everybody needs money. Uh, you've got to live. That's the that's our economy. That's who we are. But the reality is we need to look at creating relationships. Uh, and relationships are based on a couple of things. First, we have to trust. Uh, and, and I recognize trust and validate as legitimate uh, because you want to make sure that, that you're not misplacing your trust. But I also think that once we've got that, that trust in place, then we do the things. Uh, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm very simple about this when we're talking about, for instance, engagement. I operate off what I call the three A's. And the three A's increase employee engagement by doing what I believe is essential for any relationship. The first one is there has to be some attraction there. And I'm not talking about physical attraction. I'm talking about positivity, authenticity, vulnerability. Those are the things that leaders have to have to draw 
the, the, the kind of team they want that is going to join them on this hero's journey. So that's my first A is attraction. The, the second A is attention. Uh, we need to pay attention to people. Every relationship requires attention. If we don't pay attention to it, it dies. And if you want to build it, you pay attention to it. You pay more attention. Everyone craves attention. The, the, the leader in particular is looked at as someone that needs that their, their team needs their attention. So you find out ways to pay attention. It may be providing training. Uh, it may be, uh, it may be, uh, promotions. Uh, it may be development. There's all sorts of ways to pay attention. And the third A is, uh, I'm going to actually show you appreciation. It's extraordinary to me how often we forget to be appreciative of our team. And uh, I, I tell people we can be sitting at dinner and I'll ask someone for the shaker of salt at another table. And when they give it to me, I say, thank you. How often are we saying thank you? Uh, during the pandemic, here it is, we've gone through another week, terrible, we don't know the chaos, uh, the, the fear, whatever it may be. It's Friday, everybody's getting ready to go home. And what does the leader say? I'll see you on Monday. Now, to me, that, that's like an invitation back to hell. It's been a terrible week and you say, let's go and do it again on Monday. I'm not so sure I'm in for that. Instead of saying, listen, I wanna tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you did what you did this week, that you were a part of the team, that our journey continued together. So if we can do those things right there, those three A's, lock it in as a part of who we are as a leader, uh, we're able to actually impact other people. And by the way, the three A's worked in any relationship, not just professional, but also personal. Uh, and so that, that to me is where we start to make impact, is that in every relationship or every interaction, we make decisions about what, what that interaction is going to mean to not only us, but also to the other person. And if we take those three A's and we plug them into that relationship and that interaction, guess what? It creates a stronger relationship. And the stronger the relationship becomes, the better we are at supporting each other on the hero's journey. That's great. I want to uh, emphasize the the appreciation. And, you know, we all get busy and uh, leaders have so much on their plate and so does the team. And emergencies come at us and we need to address them immediately. So don't be that leader who has the team that says the only time they talk to me is when there's a problem. You have to be so intentional with uh, carving out time and keeping it on your radar to look for opportunities to provide authentic appreciation. And I recommend even throwing it in your calendar. Choose a, a number per day or per week that is reasonable and, and hit it because that will keep you focused on looking for the opportunities versus only uh, responding to the issues and challenges that are coming at you and requiring your time. If you don't carve out and make it something that you're focusing on, uh, you'll miss those opportunities. Absolutely. And it is so important. Well, and I actually go a bit, bit farther. I have a form that the uh, leaders that are in my coaching program fill out. We have a conversation, 30 to 60 minute conversation every other week. And when they come to that conversation, they need to talk about how all three of those aspects, the three A's of leadership that they actually use during that, that two week period. 
uh, because I believe that it's required. I, I don't know how you can lead without those three. Uh, yeah, I know how you can lead poorly. I don't know how you can lead well. So I think that, and it's of people fill it out, and it does do exactly what you said. It makes them aware, and I know that once once you make it a part of your routine, whatever that routine is. And it's an important part that you'll do it, but it is so easy to forget to do it. It's it just in the firefighting that most leaders are engaged in, uh, time becomes the most irreplaceable and most valuable asset. And they have to devote a certain portion of that time to the three A's. So that's how I think people get better at leadership, but they have to do it. Absolutely. And uh, you're there to hold them accountable to it. So that's great. Well, thank you so much, Paul. And if you want to connect with Paul, you can find him at paulglovercoaching.com. And we'll also, we'll have that link on today's show notes as well. So uh, to find those, you can go to defeatthedrama.com, click on the podcast tab and go to episode 285. So thank you so much, Paul, for joining. Any final thoughts? No, Kirsten, thank you very much. And by the way, I wanted to make one comment uh, about coaching. I've never been able to coach character. Uh, and, and that to me is so essential as leadership. And that to me is, is one of those, uh, that, that's, that's something that somebody else needs to take care of. I'm not capable of doing it uh, because if I don't see someone has character, then it's very difficult for me to get beyond that. So just as a, just as a I guess, a parting observation is that, is that everyone needs to have integrity, but not only do you need to have it, you need to show it. Yes. Words and actions must match. So uh, thank you, Paul. And again, if you're working to make your own impact, uh, please join myimpactacademy.com. You can go to myimpactacademy.com forward slash join for two weeks free. Uh, you will find zillions of resources organized well towards uh, leadership, uh, healthy communication and relationships, personal development, and more uh, PDF downloads, uh, videos and audios. So, and every other week time with me. So, uh, I hope that you take advantage of that and I hope to see you there. So again, that's my impactacademy.com forward slash join. And thank you for doing the important work that you are doing in this world. The world is waiting, get out there and make your own bigger, bolder impact until next time. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Kristen. That was, uh, that was, or Kirsten, I apologize. Kirsten, yeah. Kirsten, <laughs> I, I, that was, that was, uh, that was a very enjoyable conversation. So I hope that you, uh, you and your audience got some value from it. Great. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, lots of good nuggets there and I appreciate it. And, uh, again, look for the email coming from Eric Balamuki, uh, when your podcast is uh, ready to release and, uh, yeah, have a great, where are you by the way? Chicago. How about yourself? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm in Michigan. Okay, so not too well, far away, but my boys uh, live in, my boys live in Chicago, both of mine. Oh, so oh very cool. Together. Good. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Well, take care. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You also, Kristen. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye.